the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, for baseball fans looking for actual baseball content, trade candidates, free agents, and all and plenty more. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off today for that first year. Download the app. It's ad-free exclusive content. Easy stuff, easy reading, really smart, good content. Theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Friday. I was hoping to have an Aaron Rodgers slash Green Bay Packers update for you today. It's not here. Contract's not signed. There's uh, probably a lot happening behind the scenes, not just with Rodgers, but with plenty of players on that roster. Um, as Gutenkus figures out who's a restructure, who's a release, who's a trade out, there's just a lot of moving parts. At the time of this article, the Packers are at the bottom of the cap space list. They just haven't done enough yet. And that's calculated. They know what's going on there, of course. But you know, the Saints have done their dirty work. The Rams have done some work. Tampa Bay and Dallas have done their work. And uh, by the way, the adjusted salary caps that came in from the NFLPA have helped many of these rosters. So uh, in their favor, in terms of uh, additional cap that was added to them. So. The Packers did go down a little bit. I believe they dropped about $5 million with those adjusted caps, but they're still $45 million in the red right now. So Zedaria Smith, Randall Cobb, Mason Crosby, Preston Smith's contract, obviously Rodgers, an extension for Adams possibly. There's just a lot of moving parts that have to happen here to get themselves just neutral in the next six, six day, five days here. So that's the update I have for you at Green Bay. It's not big. It's not huge. Um, Khalil Mack. Let's start there. I did a piece on .com this morning, breaking down that trade. There's not much to it. Two draft picks going back. Khalil Mack and his full contract going to the Chargers. That contract can be adjusted if needed, but the Chargers are in pretty good cap space. Decent now. About 24 and change to work with after adding Mack. And uh, I don't think they're done. You know, Mike Williams is in. It's a $14 million charge for Williams. It's a $17.7 million charge for Mack. That they're in good shape. They probably need a tight end. They probably need a cornerback, maybe two. They're probably going to extend Derwin James in the next few weeks. Maybe wait till the summer on that, but at some point this offseason, they're loading up. And I'm not sure if they're going fully all in, but it sure sounds like they're at least trickling towards all in at this point. And I, I agree. This has been the team that I've been touting on all the radio shows and, and articles and tweets and things like that that I've been pushing out there. This is the team that had the cap space and the clout. They are the the Cincinnati Bengals version of 2022, in my opinion, and they're willing to spend. That's the difference between them and Cincy. So I think they can aggressively put themselves ahead of Cincinnati in all of our minds, in the rankings, in the odds, in, you know, and possibly in that division, though it's a hell of a division to be dealing with. Um, so keep an eye on that. I don't think they're done. I think there's some free agent acquisitions, maybe another trade in their future. And uh, they can restructure Mac to do that. That's broken down on that piece on SpotTrack.com right now. Carson Wentz. I'm not going to kill this. All right. And the reason I'm not going to kill this is $28 million for a starting quarterback just isn't an overpay. And you can say this guy's not worth it. Great. He's probably not. But he's on this, he's on this contract. It's a fully guaranteed situation. You know, somebody was going to pay this. And the fact that Indy got two picks plus moving up in the second round to get out of this contract completely is somewhat of a miracle. I cannot believe that they didn't have at least seven, eight million converted to a signing bonus that they had to eat to make this move. But it sounds like that Washington was not the only suitor for this. You know, I don't know if Pittsburgh was in, maybe Tampa, somebody else was in, maybe Seattle, knowing what they're sitting with right now. 
but other teams were in reportedly for Carson Wentz. So at the end of the day, they got what they got. It's a hell of a get after one year and, you know, an ugly taste in your mouth with that final play. But he becomes the QB1 in Washington for one season. And that's all we have to deal with with, with this contract. There's nothing after this. They can restructure if they need to, and I assume they might, just to take a little bit of a hit next year and free up some room this year. Is Washington now in, in a place to build? You know, McLaurin's contract could go in terms of a big extension. They're already moving on from Landon Collins. So defensively speaking, they're going to need a whole new secondary for, for give or take. You know, Kendall Fuller, William Jackson, they're okay. They're on decent contracts. But you got to upgrade that safety situation pretty nicely. Are they going to continue to push? Is that a Tyron Matthews spot? Possible. The reason it's not the worst situation for Carson Wentz is, and it's not not unlike Indy, the defense is already pretty well stocked, especially the defensive line. Now, the O-line is going to lose another guard, Brandon Sheriff, but they have done a pretty good job of resuscitating that after losing Trent Williams. it's, It's a division that's winnable because for some reason, Dallas is really sliding right now. I mean, from a roster standpoint, they do not appear ready and willing to just be who they are financially. They are going to cut back here, it looks like. So a push by Washington, a push by Philly, seems like it's the right time. And Carson Wentz isn't going to be an elite quarterback. He's not. Nor is he getting paid like one. $28 million is not an elite price. It's an above-average price, all, all things considered. But for a one-year tender, a one-year showcase, I get it. I get what we're doing here. So I'm not going to crush it. I can't believe Carson Wentz got moved with that contract in full. That, that's surprising to me. But there were teams out there that needed this. Pittsburgh's still in this boat. Pittsburgh is going to overpay Mitch Trubisky or acquire Jimmy Garoppolo or do something similar to this, in my opinion, because they have the defense. They have a couple of wide receivers. They have no offensive line, but they're going to address that in March, right? Uh, they're going to do something similar to this, I would have to gather. And uh, if not, then maybe it's Jordan Love. Maybe it's Gardner Minshew. But there are still teams out there, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Carolina, who are eyeing quarterbacks. You know, Deshaun Watson is going to be discussed with some of these teams. But there's movement still to, be, still to come. Jameis Winston can't go everywhere. And he's going to be probably the top free agent in the next couple of days here. But my guess is New Orleans already has him figured out, contractually speaking. And we're going to hear about that soon. So I'm not going to kill this. I'm shocked about the contract side of it, but for a one-year tender, they could do a hell of a lot worse. You know, they have fixed their QB1 situation for one year. Whether or not they get production out of it is a different conversation, but they have, their, they have a guy. It's not Taylor Heineke. It's not Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's Carson Wentz, who's got playoff pedigree, and, you know, three-quarters of a season can look pretty damn good, which is what he was last year. All right. Hopefully there's some Rodgers news here. There's certain to be plenty more NFL news. So I'm not going to go too deep into this because I, uh, I assume I'll be back here in 48 hours with plenty more NFL updates, extensions, maybe some cap casualties, things like that, that we'll be breaking down. Certainly keep up with us on SpotTrek.com and at SpotTrek on Twitter. But I want to get Scott Allen in here to talk about some of this baseball stuff and uh, his pros and cons on what the new Major League Baseball CBA looked like. All right, Scott, baseball's back. You and I did some, uh, some research, some writing, some contemplating, some discussions. 
And I've asked you to simplify this process a little bit. While we do have a breakdown at spotrat.com that goes through pretty much every entity of this new CBA from, from the CBT to the salaries, to the arbitration process and the new draft process, I've kind of simplified it with you. I want your three best and your three worst from this whole process, the whole negotiation period, whether it's things that were missed, things that are added that you don't like, things that you love, uh, your choice. Start positive, start negative. It's all on you here. I'll start uh, negative. My number one thing was the the vet minimum did not go to tiers. They just increased it. So it's a flat. If you're one one year experience versus 10 years experience versus 30, your minimum salary is still uh, the same. Yeah, as it's a great start. That. So $700,000. I mean, it, the pro is it, it it's up. But the downfall is they didn't go to the tier system like we've seen in the NBA and the NFL. Okay. Um, I, I uncovered some some math here that made me happier with these minimum salaries to some degree. It's not much, <laughs> you know. I mean, it was a it was a gentle smile versus you know elate what elation should be with where these things are going. But yes, it went up just like the NFLs did with the recent CBA. But so did the the percent increase, and I think that's important to note because you know there's a lot of things we can crush, and we spent two podcasts in a row kind of crushing the whole financial structure of baseball. So uh, let's take some positives away. It's up to seven hundred thousand base this year, and it's going up twenty thousand each year from here for the next five years. That's baseball hasn't even done that in the past, Scott. Right? I mean, it was basically neutral for the past three seasons, and it only went up about six and a half percent from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one. Now, some of that's pandemic. Most of that is just, that's been baseball. And by the way, hockey's just like this too. So the, the guaranteed $20,000 increase, the 11% increase every year, that's promising. That's a step in the right direction, right? Yeah, absolutely. Still not where it should be. I, I, did no. the, I did the math this morning. They're still the lowest in all the big sports. Still, even with this increase, they're still at the bottom. The NFL is 705. With a 55-man roster, baseball is 700,000 with a 26-man roster. Uh, that's not acceptable, but we're here. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the note that you have there is minor leaguers went up, so that's a positive from that aspect. But, yeah. you know, I, I can't remember if we talked offline or if we talked uh, on a pod where the minor league system, the, the, the caveats that they said they were going to help increase with, uh, you know, housing and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, I guess it hasn't really come to fruition. So I don't know if that was something that is going to be in this CBA or if it, they just strictly stuck with the minor league salary, but I'm hoping that the minor league system maybe was touched upon a bit more than just the salaries. I tried to pull resources here from five or six entities and I did see a few bullet points that said things like improved player benefits and and improved uh, player experience, things like that. Some some former player stuff I know will, has improved with the CBA. There was nothing specifically that spoke to that, but I wonder if that's not lumped into some of these bullet points that I'm reading. I hope so, because the stories have been damaging, you know, and some of the stuff has to get fixed. Some of it has to be that there's just too much for baseball probably to handle, right? You know, three, four systems below major the major league level. And if we can trim some of that off, which is terrible because jobs will be lost, but maybe they can reel it in a little bit and, and 
properly fund and properly manage and administrate the process a little bit better. But you're right. There's nothing screaming that that's been addressed here, even though it may have been in small doses. What else? What else didn't you like about this CBA process? Service time still being at six years. Mm. I was hoping that was going to be reduced a little bit. You know, we see in the big, you know, NBA, NFL, it's at least four, maybe five in NFL with the fifth year option, but you're still dealing with four. And that's where, you know, in the NBA, you're on a roster and you get one year of service if you were on an active roster for one day, whereas in Major League Baseball, it's your actual calculated time up and down. So the fact that they still remained at six, I, I would have liked to see that change. But I guess with the amount of other, Mm, positives, I guess we could say that are coming out of this, I guess uh, that could be pushed down for another time. It was very evident that the concession, the compromise, or maybe even the ask was not to deal with that as a whole, right? It was, let's not change everything for everybody. It's let's just make sure that the players who are going to get screwed, maybe get screwed a little bit less. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Like, yep, I do. Like the pre-arbitration pool, the the guaranteed year of service for the rookie of the year and the runner-up. Those things are, I mean, you're literally affecting, I don't know, a maximum of 100 players in terms of what that that war bonus pool is going to pay out on uh, per year. 100 pre-arb players a year, and I think there's maybe 1,200 that play throughout a year, honestly. So... It's a small minutia. It's a small cavalry of people who are going to get a little bit more money. But I guess that's where all the stories come from. You know, Chris Bryant's the breadwinner of this conversation. To some degree, that has been addressed. And do you like, do you like what, what has been offered here in terms of that superstar pre-arbitration system? We can get to the bonus pool in a second, but just to kind of go through, uh, I think, what you're touching on. Not only is there a guaranteed full year of service for the rookie of the year or the second place rookie of the year, but if teams promote their prospects, their superstar prospects, and I have no idea how they're going to grade that. Are they just going to go off the MLB top 30 for every team? And if you're a top three or five player and you make your team's opening day roster, reportedly, your team's going to get some compensatory draft picks. For doing that so all right ma- i i got some questions about this too well which i don't I'm, have any I answers maybe, that's all i have well, that, that's the bullet note right there <laughs> right so one of the questions i have and i hope gets answered is if that prospect is on day one opening day roster and they get moved back down on day yeah. two yeah do, do do they still get that compensatory pick of course or, there's language for that scott but we just don't have it but you're right that's right. the first thing i thought of too just a quick up and down um, and I guess I guess it get, may get mitigated where now there's the five times up and down, so teams have to calculate how long they would want that if they want that player on their opening day roster and how long they would be on there because then it would count towards their service time. Mm-hmm. So I guess it, it, once we have that answer, I, I think some of these things are going to it's going to be a benefit from that service manipulation that we've seen in the last few years, because teams are going to have to calculate, do we want them to be up on that opening day roster and how long, because now there's that limit of five times within a season. So it's going to force those front offices to really calculate those 
premier stars if they want them to be prolonged or not. But going to your pre-arb, I really like the pre-arb breakdown of the financials sure. because it, it it shows that they really put time and thought into what the monetary value was going to be instead of just saying, well, we think this is what we're going to have or we're going to knowing that specifically rookie of the year for $750,000 for first, second, 500,000, you know, it shows that they have uh, figured out that metric. Mm -hmm. Now the war, the top 100 war, my question with that is, is that based off of pre-arb players only, or is that based off of total 100 war of all (laughs) major players? I didn't even think about that. No, it's gotta be just the pre-arb guys. It's got to be unless unless we're both reading this wrong and it's any pre arb player who's in the top 100 in the whole league. Is that what you're asking me? Yes. In which case well, it would be it, way right. less than 100, 100 people paid out. It would be, you know, a dozen or so. Right. So I'm interested to see what that verbiage is. Is is it is Mike Trout being considered in the top war and then you're comparing that to uh whatever mm. minor league you know your prospect that comes up and rookie he may win rookie of the year but then he's a top 100 in the top 100 war and and doesn't win the rookie of the year so i i'd like to know they might not know that answer scott because I, one of the things i found was that that is kind of in limbo until uh, at july 1st is the deadline to figure out that whole process right so they may not have that answer yet but that's a great question well and i wonder question. And I wonder if they gave themselves to July 1 to actually physically do the math and look back at previous years of, all right, how many players actually have hit the top 100 versus not, and do we include them or not? So I, I'm okay with them pushing that back to July if they're going to do it the right way. The other question is, what value of war are they going to use? I mean, we hmm. know that Fangraphs has a war. We know baseball reference has a war. Are they going to have their own war metric? So I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what specific war value that is going to be based off of. Yeah. Lots to figure out there, but it's in place. There's, there's some level of per- performance bonus pay. Um, and I think that's going to satisfy. I think it already did satisfy many of the players, which is why the players <laughs> outvoted their executives for this deal. So. <laughs> Right. And, and let's add the, the, the small note at the bottom of that section yeah. is it, it does not stack. So you, uh, you know, if you're rookie of the year and you win MVP or Cy Young, it's whichever one's higher. I think that's important because, you know, you may have a player who hits upon three categories. Yeah. So let's give an example. So let's say, let's say Mike Trout is the AL MVP, which would get him 2.5 million. And then obviously he also makes the all MLB first team, which pays out 1 million and all MLB selection makes 1 million on the first team. He's not getting three and a half million is what you're saying there. He's getting just the MVP $2.5 million payout and he will forfeit the 1 million all MLB selection, which I believe because he's not getting that 1 million then turns into added money for the war pool. Because the way that the language is written, it says the rest of the bonus pool. Right. So I wonder if it's if any unpaid bonus from the top, from the specific award categories, then builds into the war. So maybe there's more for the rest of the of the league to be paid out, which is nice. That's that's a nice sentiment. 
Yeah, and the other structure that I'll be interested to see is if that is the case where the that bonus pool grows because there was no MVP or Cy Young monetary value paid out. Are are they going to uh, structure it where it's um, a, a declining value based off of you're the highest war to the lowest war? Or is it going to be you're in the top 100 war and you all get paid out the exact same amount divided out by however many players there are? Obviously, <laughs> so that's part questions. of the allocation part, and that's why they're waiting until July. But as a whole, I, I like the idea of it, and I think that it could be built upon for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, third and final con to the CBA. Yeah. The amateur draft lottery, I, I like the idea of the lottery, but the fact that the the, the lottery is only a, being applied to the top six teams and then it goes based off of the, the order, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know if it's going to limit the tanking that they're hoping it does, um, but I, I like the, that they've at least... Well, let's make it clear. This is basically the only thing they've done to combat tanking slash competitive imbalance this is it but uh, what i was going to say next is and, and you can poo poo on this or tell me i'm wrong but the, the the number one prospect is probably not very much different than the seventh eighth or ninth prospect in the major league draft am i correct in that assumption no, you'd, or? Be, you'd be wrong in that one and i actually, okay that, i actually came across a really nice breakdown and i forget where it was i apologize for not being able to source this but i like i said i read five or six really nice pieces this morning to kind of collect my thoughts. And somebody did that math. Somebody did math with war about the difference between the first pick, the third pick, the eighth pick, the 10th pick, the 15th pick over the last like five to six years. And it's substantial. Oh, really? The number one okay. pick is substantially better on a, on a, on a war basis. Take that for, with a grain of salt than everybody else. So we'll see if that continues. I think some of the recent number one picks may be suspect, but um, we'll see if that continues. So to that point, Scott, did they, did they do say if that was a, a war point. value that was based on in major league baseball time, or was that, uh, when they're just in their minor league stint or anything like that? Was there a split? No, just, just in, as an MLB. So it okay. was, it's a snapshot. It's a quick snapshot, a yeah, small sample right. size, of course, but at least, you know, early on in these careers. And I believe it went back to Harper. Because Harper was like the breadwinner of that conversation with, with a really strong war. Uh, that number one pick has been dominating in terms of the rest of the, even just the top 10 of those drafts. So there is something to it. So I like the fact that three teams get a, get equal chance at that top pick. But to me, it's just going to be a race to get down to the three. <laughs> right? right. And we're, so, we're sort of seeing that in the NBA yeah. where yeah. <laughs> you've got your three, they know who they are and they pretty much jockey for the same percentage throughout the, the remainder of the year. And then it, it, it comes down to the ping pongs. Um, like I said, I, I'm glad for the, the lottery ping pong process, if that's the case, because then like we've talked about before, you can have a, a, a TV show if they do it the right way, mm -hmm. they could do multiple things. Um, but it's it's not enough to curb the tanking, I don't think. I don't think one iota. And we've talked about the CBT and and what that lacks in at nauseum on this show. And we don't need to do it again because it's nothing got changed. If you had listened to us the past three or four days and 
you understand what we've been asking for in terms of any kind of salary floor, any kind of structure to contracts. None of that was even close to be to existing in this CBA. So higher tax thresholds, but no real rules on how you have to spend to that threshold. That's it. All right. Give me your uh, number one pro or number, give, give me your number three pro. Let's go backwards on this one. What's the third most thing you like on this? Um, I, I like some of the roster stuff, adding right. the designated D8, universal DH. I think that's a, a plus. It adds another uh, roster spot across teams, It mm-hmm. uh, that, which just means potential more pay. Because if you're going to pay those DH players higher in certain aspects, then it may help that average salary shift up. Makes players um, more tradable, too. It, it does. Whereas, whereas does. a player who couldn't play a lick of defense was only going to the AL. <laughs> you know, now, now right. all 30 teams are in play for those kind of players. Yeah, and then and, and then I'm going to group in there the, the rules changes with that universal DH where it, 45 days to tell the PA that we're going to make this shift. Obviously, they're, they've been using the minor league system to do a lot of testing, but uh, the reason I add this in with the DH is it shows that for a massive traditional league that never likes to make any changes whatsoever, the fact that they're giving some you know some leeway in we're going to add in 45 days instead of having to wait a year or two right. to make these changes it shows that they're being a little bit more progressive than they have in the past right so you know if the pitch clock continues to show well in the minor league systems on july 1st major league baseball can say we're bringing it we're bringing it september 1st it's happening and if they approach them major league baseball with that notion it, it can start as quickly as 45 days from when they say it's going to happen so just to summarize, by the way, no actual rule changes were implemented with the CBA out of the gate. No banning of shifts, no pitch clock, you know, no larger bases. None of that stuff is here yet. So there's going to be a grace period before the league says, all right, it's time to implement robot umps and whatever's coming. Yeah. But to your point, it's a way shorter threshold. They, they can say it 45 days later, it can, be, it can start to be implemented immediately. Um, and for those asking, double headers are nine innings again, and there's no longer a runner on second base. All that stuff is back to normal. Are you are are you okay with that? I for now. I, I wonder if those game times continue to creep up and up, if one of those world changes isn't to, isn't to go right back to that. Yeah, it's funny. Over the last uh, week or two, because of having close to negotiation and working and not back and forth, I've heard a couple different instances of how to make games quicker outside of the pitch clock. And some of the ideas that have come about have been quite interesting. Oh yeah. I don't think they would necessarily have worked, but I I think uh, just the ingenuity that was out there was, was interesting to hear outside of the ideas that you and I always come up with. So um, I I think that was probably uh, something that they had to just put off to the side for right now to get some of these other things taken care of. Well, I, I think with Theo Epstein now kind of manning that process, there's promise that a lot of these, even the crazier ideas might get implemented at some point. You know, he's got a kind of a young, intelligent, tech savvy brain to him. And, you know, that may ruin some of the game and it may improve some of the game. So we might get a little bit of everything here over the next right. couple of years. But at least there's a, a plan in place to implement that if, if we get there. What else? Give me another pro. Yeah, so I'm going to group in 
expanded playoffs plus the note that I saw late last night where teams now will play less divisional games so that Mm -hmm. teams can play every other team in the league. I really like that idea, but I'm, I'm for the expanded playoffs because it's more meaningful games. It's more, you know, from a financial standpoint, that's where they're really going to make their money is in those playoff games because you're going to get more eyeballs, the TV ads, the the TV deals mm-hmm. and, and dealing with the TV deals. Apple is now coming in. So they're going to add that streaming aspect. But I, I like the idea of the expanded playoffs. They have the uh, the buy. So if you're a number one seed similar in the NFL, you get that buy that that pushes teams to really at the end, if they're close to push for that number one seed so that they don't have to go through the a best of three, which I like that that's a best of three. Let's, if you got those bottom wild card teams that are, that get in, that might be fringe teams, but they're in, I like that. It's only a three game series. It gives that chance that that team that is the higher seed, a better chance of just being to and out and moving forward. Um, so I, I am for the structure of the expanded playoffs, plus being able to see those teams that you may not necessarily get to see. So we should, I, I should probably step in here, right? Because this is, it, to some degree, a bit of an anti-taking approach. To some degree, right? If you, if you were stuck in the middle last year, of the standings and you knew that getting to the, the eighth spot, you know, the playoffs was unlikely. Generally you were trading away three or four guys, you know, you were cutting payroll, you were shedding things, getting ready for the off season. That's not going to be the case anymore. Right. Because, because 12 teams get in right. Instead of 10 last year, there's a real chance that we'll have more buyers, not sellers. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely fair. And you're going to you're going to see what is happening in the NBA where we're talking about playing teams in February. And so you're going to start seeing more conversation of those bottom teams because they may push because the fact that it's a three game series means they have a chance to if they get their rotation correct going into that three game series, they could upset and move on. So you're going to see that kind of strategy that we we would have seen in in, in some instances but we're going to see it on steroids uh, no pun intended um <laughs> with with those teams do you think the nba plane has to go to this i it's been a, a conversation mm-hmm. um it's very rare that a 8 seed upsets a one seed. I, I can't even remember the last time it did. I'd have to look it up. Uh, but I think the them having the play in series, it, it, it sort of is that is it, same isn't because play, it's, isn't the play in a one and done game or is it a series? Well, well, it's a combo oh. where it's, it's a one, it's a one and done for one team. Um, but that's if right. You, Somebody has to win twice. If you're the bottom two teams and yeah. you're going to have to win twice to get in, whereas mm-hmm. if you are the seven, eight and you win, then you're automatically in. Gotcha. So it's a little different uh, than the structure would be a little, little different, but it, 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 it shortens the amount of games that have to happen to get into the deep part of the playoffs. And your favorite thing with the new CBA, Scott. 
it's only a five-year deal <laughs> from what we've seen. I mean, you and I were talking, we can't have a super long 10-year deal with what's going on. So I, I, I am glad to see that it's five years that at least from what we've seen from the verbiage, it's a five year. Yeah. I, I'm glad to see that they didn't make it long so that they can come back to the table. They can see how things are working. If they have to adjust, then so be it. Hopefully between now and that five years, they'll have some negotiation. I was just about to say, up. can they just start now? Right. They should just they start now well. for 2027. But that is my number one pro because if we were to have been locked into this for 10 years, um, and, and halfway through, we're all throwing our arms up like this isn't working or it's working, but we need to tweak a few things. And then having been locked in, it, it would have been a complete nightmare. So I am glad to see that it's only a five-year deal. Last question. I'm putting you on the spot here. What is not going to work? Uh, the competitive balance, competitive balance tax is I think it's a moot point, especially the fact that they added a fourth threshold that almost no team is probably going to get to. Actually, you're wrong. I think the Mets I, are going to be I, there right now. I know. And I've, I've seen that on Twitter. <laughs> They're already calling it the Cohen tax. But, but to your point, don't you feel like it's there just because the Mets were already hovering around that number? It, yes. There's, no, there's no, nothing to say that any other team is ever going to get back there after this year. You know what I mean? It might be completely moot after 2022. Yeah, but it, it, they they already have the third threshold, so they could have just paid the tax on top of that yeah. already. You know, it wouldn't be as drastic as adding eighty percent for the first time and you get dinged with it at that amount. Yeah. But I felt, and you and I have talked at length about the competitive balance tax, and you know, is it should they do it? Should they have a floor or anything like that? It, that's the that's the one thing. I it's just it, it is what it is right now. Hopefully, in five years, the, there's a, another tweak. Maybe they'll add the floor to help offset. But I I don't think it's going to do much of anything. We're still going to see uh, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the whoever else is going to be close. But yeah. I, the fact that it it went up just means that the, the the teams that were closer to it are just that far away from it now. That is that is my backhanded answer to what is not going to work is the lack of a floor. I, I know that a lot of people close to the game, especially the ones we kind of follow and read quite a bit, were completely ignoring it on purpose because they knew it was never going to be an issue. In fact, it was only going to it was only going to break team the two sides more apart to even bring that up. We brought it up because you know we're on the outside looking in here, but there's going to be a point maybe two years into this, maybe three years into this, when the players look around and say, nothing has changed. <laughs> like One or two guys are getting early extensions. One or two guys are getting great free agent contracts. Nothing has changed, right? The, the Cleveland's and the Pittsburgh's and those guys, they're still doing what they do. And I don't blame them, I guess. They're in the market they're in and nothing's telling them not to do that. But at some point in time, there's, there's going to be a come to Jesus moment that we didn't, do, we didn't do enough, and now we have to force the hand. Now we have to put in a floor. And, boy, you want to fight. That's going to be a fight. Yeah, it will be. Tell, tell, but, telling 30 owners that they have to spend X dollars, that's going to be a fun conversation. We need television cameras in there for that one. 
Yeah, that would be fantastic. Hey, let me ask you this before we end here. What are your thoughts with that international draft and them pushing that off, but offsetting if they take it, then they get rid of the qualifying offer and anything like that? It's dirty. It's a really dirty play. I'm not a lawyer, but I kind of think like a lawyer a lot. And I thought, I thought that was a pretty low blow because from what I'm hearing from a lot of the players, especially the international players in the league, is that that was kind of like a last minute. Oh, by the way, <laughs> this is not only on the table, but if you don't take it, we're throwing two of the concessions that we threw out back into the, into the fold. And they're big ones. Those qualifying offer Jeff picks are a nightmare. They're a nightmare for teams trying to sign one of these really great players that deserve hundreds of millions of dollars in this league. And now it's a pain in the ass for, the, for any team to sign them because they have to forfeit a first, a, you know, a, basically a huge draft pick as well as hundreds of millions of dollars to bring these guys in. It's stupid. It's really dumb. It is the equivalent of a, a, acquiring Devontae Adams from his franchise tag, right? So giving up a first, a second, and a third round pick for Devontae Adams and then having to pay him $125 million. That's essentially what every major free agent in baseball has been going through over the last, I guess, four to five years. It's insane. It's too much. And the fact that they now have tied this international draft to it, which I know none of the players want, because, I, I, you know, and as I said in the piece, Scott, and I don't know if you agree with it or not, it's kind of the wild, wild west over there in, in, these, in a lot of these countries. And right. that two to $3,000 bonus that teams are happy to pay just to get a guy into an academy to see what kind of athlete he is, to see what kind of translation he might have into a major league baseball system, which is basically like a, an inf it's like a camp more than it is a real tryout. You know what I mean? Like it's a, mm -hmm. it's a slow process. And some of these guys, as you know, many of them now that hit, that hit the league, their effort, their, their work, the, 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 the academies that they go through, many of that which are run by former Major League Baseball players, do wonders for them. It's a really nice process. And there's a lot of nice stories and documentaries kind of breaking down this process and formalizing it with a stuffy, big, ugly, unwatchable draft. This is just bad business. Nobody watches the actual amateur draft, let alone international draft. Right. You, there are better ways to mitigate and control that process better than just having bonus pools right now. But I think a stuffy formal draft is the wrong move. And the fact that they have attached it to the hip of this nasty qualifying offer compensation is dirty because it's going to force the player's hand because it, it took the one thing they probably hate the most because it hampers their ability to get their payday that they have to wait so long to get. The fact that they've tied that to that is ugly. And July 25th is that soft deadline to get that done. Maybe it's a hard deadline. I don't believe in any deadlines for Major League Baseball anymore, but uh, that's going to make that summer pretty ugly, I think, because we're going to be having some discussions about this then. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that moving forward. Yep, it's ugly. Legalese, what are you going to do? That's enough of that. Thanks, Scott. Good stuff. Yep, have a good one. Okay. Many of the bullet notes and bullet points I took for this and, and the piece that I posted on .com came from The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track, Get yourself 40% off. Read Jason Stark. Read Ken Rosenthal. Read Evan Drellich. Please. The, the work is outstanding there, especially with baseball. Now that baseball is back and it's not just labor articles. 
theathletic.com slash spot track. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.